Hi everyone, this is Sri Krishna here. I'm one of the co-founders and CEO at Factors.ai. Very excited to be here. One minute, stop. Ready? Let's go. Let's do this. This could be a great intro. Hi, I'm Akshay. Hi, this is Saurabh. And you are listening to the Founder Thesis Podcast. We meet some of the most celebrated startup founders in the country. And we want to learn how to build a unicorn. Just like everything else, the field of marketing has been massively disrupted by technology. In fact, the term MarTech refers to startups that are disrupting traditional marketing tools and channels with technology. And this is a massive opportunity. Two of the biggest companies in the world, Google and Meta, are essentially conduits for marketers to reach consumers. Shri Krishna Swaminath, the founder of Martech startup Factors.ai, has had a front view seat in the Martech revolution. He was an early member and a key leader at India's first unicorn in Mobi, where he was responsible for setting up a division generating more than 100 million dollars in annual revenue. At factors.ai, he is on a mission to make it easier for marketers to consume data and make smarter decisions about how to spend their marketing dollars. Listen on to this masterclass on all things Martech. So I chose to more look at other startups at that point in time. And Inmobi was one of the companies just growing really well out of Bangalore at that point. So Bangalore, there were two big startups then, Inmobi and Flipkart, both were just becoming a unicorn that point in time in early 2013. So I chose to join Inmobi and uh, then spent close to seven years at Inmobi. That was a fantastic step at the same. And uh, started as a sales role, but eventually went into more general management, building a business unit internally. What was the business unit that you built internally? So internally, it was a business unit called Vodogo. The whole affiliate business of Inmobi and later I also handled the device monetization and the agency business at Inmobi. I started that up also. The affiliate business grew to a more than a hundred million dollar plus PN. So it's like... What is, a, what, is, what is an affiliate business? Yeah, that's interesting. So in any... Uh, uh, Inmobi is fundamentally like a marketplace. So any marketplace, there are two-sided marketplaces. So there is demand, which is called advertisers. And then the other side is publishers, which is where you place ads and other side. Affiliate is basically creating another third tier in between because like you can't get all the supply yourself from the publishers yourself where you can put the SDK, but you can work with other partners or affiliates who would actually help you get that uh, supply, whether it's in South America, whether it's in North America, whether it's Japan, Korea or China or so many other things. And this is a more easier way to expand your supply possibility. The margins would be lower, but the turnaround would also be much higher and you'd also be able to scale up the business very, very fast. And this thing, that's something. What do you mean turnaround will be higher? What does that mean? The thing is like the scale of the revenue which you can get would also be very high from the initial times itself. And more importantly, you would also get multiple deals. That is, let's say, as a simple level, it's like you have an advertiser, which is Mantra, and you want to go and tell them, I'll find inventory for you because our SDK is there and let's say Crick Info or NDTV or wherever it is. That's one level of business. It's scalable only to a certain level. It depends on how how fast you're able to get the publishers like NDTV or Crick Info. On the other hand, if you work with third-party publishers, you'll get access to thousands of other publishers who they have worked 
hard to get it while you are able to bring in the advertiser from your site and other things. So suddenly, instead of Mahindra spending $1,000 with you, they'll start spending $10,000 with you because of that. So the margins will be the same. Okay. And the ads which go through publishers, the ads which go through the other networks, the, the aggregators in a way, those ads would give you less margin because you will share that margin with that aggregator. You would have to share the margin, but at scale, once you expand the scale and you are also able to give more variety in terms of advertisements and in terms of publisher grouping and other things. So you are also will be able to increase the pricing. You'll be able to optimize the pricing data and you would also be able to expand the quantum of money flowing through you. That's the goal of any marketplace. At the fundamental level, you focus on increasing the quantum while pricing margins and other. This thing is more of a secondary choice which you have to trigger on. So, for example, the first two quarters, it wasn't profitable. It was actually net gross margin zero. And this thing, then we started tweaking the pricing. And eventually, we started taking it up pretty well. At peak, it was more closer to 40% plus in margins. And it was a $100 million plus business. It was one of the most profitable units within InMovie as well. How How is, I thought pricing was like through a bidding system, right? How did you fix the pricing? Because I have an outsider's knowledge of ad networks. So, so therefore, I, I'm asking you to explain it to me as a layman. So it is a bidding system, but it's also the bid and ask spread also. You can keep changing by publisher and by parts saying that, okay, this is the price which I'm going to pay whoever wants to pick at this price you can pick what the advertiser pays to me is more on overall return uh, on performance metrics so that's what it's called a performance affiliate network where advertisers pay you on final performance in terms of uh, number of orders you get or number of installs you are able to generate another this thing while the publishers would be basically bidding on trying to optimize on this is a set of impressions clicks we can build we will also be able to get to so much conversions. We will also hold them accountable to conversions. But we basically go back and put it up in the platform. There is an affiliate platform. First, we are using a third-party platform. Then we build it internally also saying that this is the price which we will pay. You won't pay anything more than that. So that's why between the bid and ask, between advertisers, we can increase the margins over a period of time. And also, it's also scalability. For example, any publisher would, once you start increasing from 10 advertisers, let's say you have 100 campaigns working with you. Once you have 100 campaigns, almost every single publisher wants to work with you because you have variety of campaigns. I can go to some other advertiser or someone or even directly and get that particular campaign from them or something of the sort, but I won't get the 100 others. I'd rather work with them. Second thing is payment cycles and other things. Most of the payment cycles, if it's managed by a very large company, one, they trust that the money will come in the right time. Second, they have a standard payment metric. If they have to independently either work directly with the advertiser or any other affiliate which is smaller, there is always the risk of payment default or payment delays. Delays, right. So payment delays is going to cripple anyone. It's, that's where you understand the concept of how working capital can cripple anyone from actually scaling up the business. And uh, that becomes tougher and tougher for any other person to do. That's where the moat in the marketplace also. Once you expand the business and you're able to guarantee a certain level of standard working capital practices and also very clear clarity on like, you get this confirmation of payment as long as we confirm that this is very clean inventory and the order has been performed as per whatever the requirement, you'll get the payment done also very clearly. So it works very finely. Okay, so just to recap, so a publisher is not going to get paid based on the outcomes, but he's going to get paid based on, in a way, the input, which is the number of views. It, it's similar to like you employ a... Both. We actually can work on both sides because... Like you have a sales team, so you're paying the sales team on number of man days work, but you are earning based on number of items sold. Number of revenue. 
So, so it is something similar with a publisher where they are getting paid on views and you get paid on the throughput, like how many views led to a purchase or an app install. And therefore, if you are able to run some algorithms to optimize which campaign should run on what kind of publisher to give you the best throughput, it increases your margin. So to overall increases your margin. Plus, you can also then variant like which kind of campaigns for which kind of publisher sub-IDs. The tracking mechanisms is pretty clear. You can track from impression clicks to number of installs to downstream metrics and all those things. And you can keep playing around like which downstream metrics work. You are also then see what is the quantity, if there is any kind of click spamming and all those things. So there was, there was a lot of investment around both the optimization algorithms and the fraud detection algorithms also. Because there is a very easy way to generate installs through backend API calls and other things. But then you look at bot metrics and click spamming metrics and all those things. So the standard things. And this is at more than billion clicks a day. And why do these uh, supply aggregators exist? Wouldn't everyone be by default going to say a Google? Or everyone knows that if I have inventory, I can sell through Google. So, so why would a supply aggregator exist? Ah, yeah, of course. So Google's budgets would be more like, so people would work with Google. People do work with Google. So actually in the ad tech as an industry, there would be a Pareto rule where like there'll be people go to Google, Facebook also for their exchanges, which can give the low tail and long tail and they can also get 80% of that. The remaining 20%, then they go for the other set of persons. One for better pricing, second also for more variety. And also the thing is today's ad request, it's like time. I can't sell it tomorrow. So let's say I have 100 ad requests. If Google is able to buy only 80, then I have to send the remaining 20 to someone else. If I don't send, it's going to basically go waste. So I have to have multiple connections and there is a mediation order around that. So otherwise it's not going to sell. So that's why the market sells. Okay, okay, okay. And these supply aggregators, give me some examples. Who are they? The, the affiliates that... So across the board. So I used to play both sides of the market and in Mobi also the swing party would also be a supply can also be a, a demand because what's your marketplace, you can twist the... It's like a Forex marketplace. But let's say a supply aggregator would be like a kind of a web publisher in the US or South Africa, which aggregates all their sports websites or news websites or any other kind of particular set of gaming platforms and other things. Or there are platforms like Mobvista. There are platforms like few others. It can be even an OEM provider like Xiaomi or the thing which used to sell their OEM slots, which is there. There is a few other companies which is coming into place like Apple and other things. So... There are multiple kinds of that and each of them would have maybe the same set of supplies or different set of supplies coming in from different parts and other things. And you keep scaling that over a period of time, depending on how it works. How does the pipe work between the customer who sees an ad and the advertiser, say a, a Mintra ad, which I'm seeing on my Xiaomi phone? How does that pipe work? What does the pipe look like? Xiaomi will be connected to an aggregator. That aggregator will be connected to Inmobi or no, Shine will be aggregator or directly to an advertiser itself. So the way things get tracked is there is a tracking URL. So tracking URL is as soon as you click both, whether it's an impression view through or when you do a click through, the server side click gets fired or the direct client side click gets fired. And it goes through the each and every hop saying this happened, then this happened, then happened, then the pushback happens to the eventual server and then it gets managed. So these tracking links are basically what is postback? Postback is like when a conversion happened or when a goal event happens. So it can be a click conversion. It can be any of install, any of those things. And this gets tracked. Mm -hmm. Like what, what happened after the person clicked on an ad? Did he actually install? Or did he just 
browse away from there. So, so that information goes back. Everything, the timestamp, which device they got installed from, whether it's from a Samsung phone, whether it's like kind of whether he was walking or not, what are the kind of details. All this is captured by a tracking URL, which is supplied by mobile app trackers, which is like an adjust.io, which is there, or a singular is there, or a apps flyer is there. Some of these are themselves billion dollar plus companies. So these are the companies that show all these things. So this mobile uh, app tracker is, it's like a, a add-on player in this transaction. Like this is something which an advertiser is spending for this. Advertiser spends for it. Okay, advertiser spends for it. And this is essentially able to give back information to the advertiser on the demographics of the people who saw or clicked. Now, including installing, including everything, whatever the details which they can, they're able to get, they'll get, uh, they'll get and send it across. And how does this mobile app tracker become able to look at Xiaomi's consumer base? So, so Xiaomi, Xiaomi has to work with them? So it won't, be, uh, it won't be demographic data. It won't be demographic data. It will be device data. So it will be device ID. It will be device maker, device whatever. Okay, so Xiaomi sends this data back in a standard format and uh, that is just parsed by the mobile app tracking company. Same thing, not just Xiaomi. Even we'll know whether it's an iPhone 6 or iPhone 10 or whatever it is. We'll know so many other things. Who used where and all those things. All this comes from the... So basically, when a publisher wants to monetize their eyeballs, then they have to install some SDK. That SDK would include stuff which is sending back this information like the phone. The So that SDK would send the ad request. When the ad response comes, it will have all this thing. SDK is more from, let's say, from they would have an InMovie SDK or a Google AdMob SDK or someone else. So then they'll send back all the details. And this SDK, what does this do? It like resides within the app software and it is allocated a space uh, to present an ad, like basically. Yeah, yeah. So every single publisher, whether you use an NDTV or whether the thing, if you have an Android phone, there are Android markers. You can actually see what all SDKs are there inside your phone. Apps. Okay, inside the apps. Okay. So you, you built up this affiliate business, which meant that you did the partnerships with these, like say a Xiaomi or a Verizon. These partnerships were what you were building up and then you were ensuring that the pipes are built to transmit the ad and get the tracking data back? So multiple things. One is internally convincing the team saying that one, we have to sell this inventory. So get advertisers on board. Second is getting publishers on board. Then getting the whole piping and system and technology, whatever the parts hold. Third is like making sure the finance, working capital, everything of that gets on hold. Then eventually building the team to manage customer support and other things so that the business runs. So at the end of it, it was more than a 60, 70 people team. It was close to $100 million plus business, as I was mentioning, making more than $40 million in profit. And also working across at peak, it was like at least 600, 700 campaigns on a daily basis running. And it was pretty large pipe. So as a comparison, a couple of other companies which used to do the same set of business and which is also listed and maybe the same size of it currently and other the thing is Affil, which is a, almost a $2 billion company in the Indian market. Or IronSource used to do very similar business. It's also listed now. IronSource has even pivoted into using the money. They also have started building a gaming platform. They also have a gaming studio and others. Now it's close to $8 billion company in NASDAQ and other the things. So that's how the business emerges. Uh, this Vadugo business is essentially a business of serving supply to advertisers. You have to go aggregate 
a lot of sources so that your advertisers are able to advertise beyond the publishers who are directly linked to InvoBee. Every ad tech is serving supply only. So whether it's even whether it's you work with Facebook or Google or whatever it is, fundamentally is like you have supply. Either it's your own supply or it's someone else's supply. It's ability for you to serve impressions, views, eyeballs to advertisers. So that's all. That's how ad tech is fundamentally. So then what next after you built uh, Wadogo was this? So I built that. I was part of the exec team at Inmovie. I was reporting to the CEO there, Naveen and other things. So it was pretty good. But then I went to a college mate of mine, Aravind. Aravind and I went back to go way long back, close to almost 20 years. We were in the same college together, RV College. Post that Aravind had joined Google IAC and then Google. And he was there in Google for five years. And then he started up another company called Chatimity and that got acquired by Freshworks. And that product eventually became one of the first versions of Fresh Chat. And after a couple of years at Freshworks, he wanted to come out and start up again. And he also wanted to be back in Bangalore. So he came back from Chennai to Bangalore. And there we met and he had another idea around analytics. How to make analytics simple and easy and why, given the data, number of data silos is increasing like exponential way in the current world rather than it wasn't basically a very simple thing like Google Ads and then you do website form fill and CRM. There is the amount of data silos have actually increased and the need for analytics and how you actually look at data metrics and other things also needs to be more AI driven and done differently is the thought process of the idea. And it also had genesis on what Freshworks was struggling on. And at that point in time, so he came back, came to me with that idea and we started talking and I also had another colleague of mine at Inmobi, Praveen Das, who was part of the product team at Inmobi. He used to run the whole data products at Inmobi, build the customer data platform at Inmobi and the audience's products at Inmobi and the thing. So both of us were also, I and Praveen were also looking to start up. Aravind also came and said, okay, let's start up. So I thought, let's, three is always better company than two. And we wanted to get together and build. And that's when we formulated the idea and there was also the, we also saw the need on how Freshworks came in with. So the idea was very, very simple. So sales and marketing and even any website data silos have been increasing. And also the amount of quantum of data is also increasing very heavily. So for example, for any ad to flow through and all, there is Google, there is Facebook, there is, let's say you would have any other kind of LinkedIn or G2 Crowd and other ads. This is, I'm talking about B2B. You're, you're talking about online sales here. Online sales, yeah. Any set of digital marketing, the number of channels. And there are also offline events. If you do B2B, there will be webinars, there'll be some kind of events and all those things. Where the data is recorded in terms of these emails and all those things come in. But the number of channels is increasing. Then you have the website. So like, for, for example, uh, like a company, say a D2C, say like a mama selling cosmetics and wellness products. So one is they would have data coming in from their own website of the consumers who logged in and what stage they reached, how many checked out, how many did not check out. Then they would be running these email campaigns, sending out uh, new product releases. They would be getting some data from that. Then they would be running these ads on Facebook and Google and in Mobi and other such platforms. And they'd be getting some data on what kind of customer is clicking on their ad. Probably the marketplaces themselves would also be giving them some data like Amazon and Flipkart. They would also do that. They would also do that. They'll get the thing. Marketplaces don't share much data on who the user is and all those things. They just give reporting data, cost and revenue alone. But most of the other data, which is they want to do it on their own website because they don't want to prefer to be part of marketplaces. The thing, there'll be website data, Google, Facebook data, and there'll also be a CRM data, which is whether I, I don't think they'll be using Shopify, Mama Earth is very big, but people generally use Shopify or one of their own CRM data. That's also there. All this data is in different places. You spend in cost in one level. You track the user journey all through the website, 
amount of time spent on the website. There is also a lot of content marketing. Amount of time people look at a particular content blog in the website or whatever it is. And then there is also once I sign up, amount of time they take to sign up, which products I see, how much they bundle the products itself, like how many products do they add and other the thing. And eventually they become part of the CRM also when they close the deal and other the thing and they pay the money. So you have data from cost, which is channel metric to revenue. You need to integrate all this data and stitch the user journey end to end. Currently, that kind of a user journey end to end switching wasn't there at that point in time. There were multiple point solutions which were trying to do part of it. Or if you say the same thing for Freshworks, Freshworks is a huge SaaS company. They were doing more than 100 million revenue, and now it's more closer to 400 million. They were spending close to 25 to 30 percent of their revenue on marketing, digital marketing alone, because digital marketing matters. In SaaS, it's also digital marketing is what? They'll be spending on channels, they'll be spending on content, they'll be spending on a lot of webinar and other activities. Then people will come sign up. Eventually, there'll be a sales representative assigned and there'll also be marketing email newsletters and all those things going. All this data is spread in multiple places. And their problem was, how do I get predictable pipeline? To get predictable pipelines, fundamentally, you need to invest in marketing. Marketing is not a kind of a cost. It's basically investment. Because you put in money in marketing, you get output and revenues. Very, very simple. But how do I know that if I put $1 million in marketing, I'll get so much pipeline, I'll get so much revenue in a predictable, clean way. To do that, you have to bring together all the data, stitch the data into it, and then see saying that if I spend in this by this cut, by this geography, by this product, by this thing, this is the kind of ACV and this is the set of customers I get. So use the a- ACV, what is ACV? Average customer value. So for example, let's say Freshworks, Freshchat, if you see, it's like per customer per seat, they sell at $20 per average seats is five. It's $250 per month or $3,000 a year. For something like Gong.io or something, it will be $50,000 a year. But whatever it is, what is the customer value per segment and what how you need to convert? Or even for a mama Earth, it's something like average basket value will be something like 1,000 rupees or 1,500 rupees. Average mother in Delhi is going to buy so much or something like that. They would have a value. But you need to interpret so much I invest in marketing, so much I get, so that you'll get the ROAS. But you'll also know exactly by which slice and cut you'll get. Currently, that kind of data for even something like Freshworks, when they were trying to get, it was impossible. Hence, they put a data engineering team and they also had a lot of analysts by pulling together data using ATL tools, dumping all the data on data warehouse, then building a Power BI or a business intelligence platform on top of it to see how the data worked and other things, or which slice and dice of the data work. And this brings it to a uh, couple of problems. One is you need to invest in internal data engineering to build all this. Second is to stitch together data and write specific queries and size and dice of the data, you have to have a SQL query writer each and every time. And then you have to visualize it. The, as the data grows, the visualization also becomes very, very clunky. Tableau or a Power BI or wherever it is. So this is three set problems. Give me, give me an example of this traditional way which you're talking about, which is a heavy investment approach for a company. What does it look like? They put this data into a very large table. Just break it down for a layperson. person. Data warehouse. They'll put it into a data warehouse. So what they'll use is they'll use ETL tools like a Fivetran or a Hiva. Hiva. What, what is ETL? ETL is basically a piping tool. That's like if a data is there in Google channel and data is also there in my CRM, data is also there in my website, how do I take all the data and pipe it into my data warehouse? So how do you push data from your other sources into your uh, data warehouse is fundamentally what an ETL tool does. So there are open source ones. Yeah, it is a, like a, it would do an API connect between the... It will do an API timeline, it will transform and lose the data. That's what is that. That's what... Hmm. Like a very simple consumer version of this would be like a Zapier. 
Correct. Uh, this is, these are uh, Zapier does it without full contacts, but this is a little more advanced forms of Zapier are also there. There are open source tools that are the same, which is also there. There are reverse ETL tools also, which will move from data warehouse to a Salesforce also. Those kind of things are also there. But at a fundamental level, you have to use piping. Or you can build this pipeline yourself. Internally also, you can build this pipeline. And other the thing, there'll be APIs exposed by either of these connections and then you build it. Once you put the data into data warehouse. And data warehouse is like a tool. What is a data warehouse tool? Give me give me an example of a name. Snowflake, BigQuery. Snowflake is there. BigQuery is there. Redshift is there. Amazon Redshift and all those things. It's dependent on uh, the kind of or, uh, Azure uh, data warehouse and others are also there. But the key thing here is data warehouse is like a storeroom. You can dump all the data. It's something like Sri Krishna clicked on an ad, you can dump it. Sri Krishna was in the website, you can dump it. Sri Krishna filled this form, you can dump it. It won't have context on like all these records of Sri Krishna is the same thing. And you have to stitch that. Then you have to, how do you stitch that? Either you write queries to say, okay, I want to look at all these people and I want to arrange that data and other thing. Or when you write a general queries, it will find this slice, this slice, this thing. That's why it becomes very clunky for you to manage. Or you have standard queries you have to return and then you have to upload the data. If you change the date or if you change the thing, the query runs and it takes so much time for the data to come back. So there are two parts to it. One is you need to write SQL queries on top of the data once it goes into the data warehouse. Second is you have to bring in all the data in the right way and then you have to switch the data and other thing and dump it into the data warehouse. So this is what a lot of companies would have to do if they have to do the end-to-end -end view of all the data from channel all the way up to the same. With our product, we bring together data, we stitch the data. On top of it, we also enable analytics on the data. So what you do is sometimes you put a data warehouse or you put this thing, then you sit on data with a mix panel or heap analytics, it just does analytics. What is the What are these mix panel heap? You'll, you'll have to like really uh, break it down for layman. <laughs> As I said, it's like one is like bringing data. So you there are ideal tools. There's a data warehouse, which is Snowflake or Redshift. Then on top of it, you have to done, do analytics. That is, you have a dump of all the data, but then you have to do analytics. Analytics, either you can write your own query or you can use a tool which makes it very easy to write the write the query. Something like pull this data, pull this data, like something like filter and other thing. Fire a query, you get a query. So these are essentially like making the process of data queries into no code what say a bubble is doing like no code development so so that data querying scopy no code is okay easy for you to query the data unless you have the data underlying data in a clean way but that stitching together you still need to do for example that these three different records all belong to one sri krishna that you would still need to that's why you have a customer data platform like a segment and others which will help you route the data in another way and other the steps so you pipe it into a customer data platform and then you do it. Or you, when you put it down into a data warehouse, then Excel will sit on top of it. But there, you won't be able to stitch it. But using analytics queries, you can slice and dice at the individual user level and put unique identifier codes and other thing. And then you can build a report and analytics query and then you have to visualize the data. Okay, so this is like an immensely high, like bandwidth hogging task to really be able to... So there are two, three problems in it. So none of this, what I'm talking about is like impossible. And this is, you have to one push in. At the end of the day, it's like time and people, right? We want your best of your data engineers and your data analysts and other, this thing, working on your own product and other, this thing. Or do you want them to one, working on getting together data and then seeing the data? Second is you want your marketers or revenue teams focusing on strategy. That is like what would be the right way to position and then spend on rather than spending a lot of time just to making sense of the data itself in the first place.
because once you if you automate the hard work of the grunt work i would say like pulling together all the data and visualizing and seeing the data and anal- analyze the data very very easy then the decisions can also be more iterative and faster if it is not there getting through the data itself would be the dashboard is not analytics dashboard is not insights dashboard is like whatever is garbage you have to do but you have to prepare putting and then you have to see the dashboards dashboard is also limiting in terms of like how much you can see the people and other the same but it reduces work with a proper end to end tool where it combines all the data stitches the data with context and then show gives you analytics on top of it and also visualization together so essentially you you've bundled together a lot of discrete processes services into one one stop shop solution for a marketer with intuitive ui that they don't need to know coding to use it they don't need to know coding they don't need to depend on data engineering teams they don't need to work with the kind of sprints separately to make things happen and other the same they can just directly start working on it integrate all their data sources within 15 minutes it's just a web based authorization or an api key immediately as soon as they start with it the data comes through and they can start standard templates actually showcase how the data works and what are the data points which are there and then if they want to build any additional data dashboards also they can build it pretty easily using the navigator and it's within a week or two you can immediately start getting immediate value out of the product tell me about the onboarding journey of a customer so this would essentially again let's stick with the mama earth example let's say the mama earth marketing team wants to use this so what would be the onboarding journey for them simple so one is like how we actually have ourselves kept our whole onboarding is both the product led or a demo motion depending on what the user is you can just immediately get started where all you need to go is into our website first name last name email id immediately you can get signed up into the project the project will automatically get created then for them to uh, they will be taken through a settings page which is like for them to integrate all the data is what we have kept is totally ovat based no code which is like putting the javascript sdk on the web page is like a simple gtm tag which they need to put in the gtm header that's one thing which they have to what is gtm google tag manager and they have to put it on the header which is there of the google tag manager which any standard web admin will understand second apart from that they have hmm. so all, all all websites come with a google analytics inbuilt for you google tag manager not a google analytics we do our own analytics capture it's a tagging tag manager is like how's your website structure analytics is google analytics is own analytics sdk which is that we replace google analytics completely for any of the companies which we work with Okay, so so uh, Google Tag Manager is like a standard feature. Every website must be have, or or every publisher for UTM tags, Unified Tag Manager. And what does this do? It helps in ranking. It. No, no, no. It doesn't help in ranking. It basically tags on your website, tags all your data or whatever the structure of the website very very clearly. Where is your JavaScript goes, and you can place code within that, or you can. also even say that this is the place where the form fillers this is the place where the kind of click buttons are these are the places where let's say blogs case studies everything to scan so it's it's something which allows the browser to orchestrate your code into the ux it's a blueprint of the website in the back end so i'll put it that in a very seemingly easy way so you just place it there and once you do that all the channel data whether it's google facebook and all those thing that is a simple oauth based authorization you can just click on that and automatically the data would start coming in because we have built the pipes underlying for let's say facebook google integration all you need to do is authorize your google account to send data like mama earth would have a google account where they would be spending money for ads similarly they would have a facebook ad so any any platform with 
Google Google account will have the cost data, will have the campaign data, will have the keyword data, would have each and every data for Google. Similarly, Facebook would have that. LinkedIn would also have that. We are able to bring in all the data from the from our side itself, just like a simple OAuth-based authorization, and that will come in. Finally, is the CRM. OAuth oh, is uh, essentially when you just sign in with your username, password, and click on the allow button, basically, when it's correct. That's all. As simple as that. So we just allow the data to come in, we'll be able to get in the data. And what about data from, say, email campaigns, if you're also using MailChimp? and If you have MailChimp or any specific uh, marketing automation tool like a HubSpot or a Pardot or a Marketo, you also get data from them. How does that happen? Again, uh, like a OAuth. So it's like a HubSpot has an API key, so you just have to place an API key and get it. Marketo would also have a little more than an API key and a form sign-in. Salesforce has a login kind of other thing, so we are able to print that. If you like to hear stories of founders, then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion-dollar businesses. Just search for the Founder Thesis Podcast on any audio streaming app like Spotify, Ghana, Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to the show. So you've made the process for a customer essentially pretty no-code. He just has to do that one time sign in an authorization and on the GTM is to place your code, which allows you to replace Google Analytics and then start looking at all the website analytics. What kind of analytics do you look at on a website? Like what, like, like who, who are... So it's like time spent on the page. Let's say, what is the standard website journey? That's something which comes to for every single marketer. I have people coming in from a Google campaigns or organic campaigns, or I write blogs and I distribute the blogs through multiple channels and other things. How do people come in? Where do they come in from? So that's the first question. Once they come in, what do they do? Or does it, and does it differ? Does this behavior differ, differ from people coming in from within India? Or for example, Delhi versus Bombay versus Bangalore for a mama Earth example. Does it differ from people coming in from, let's say, a Windows desktop versus an Apple desktop? Something. Does it differ for people using Chrome versus Safari? Does it differ for people who are when they actually log in through a Facebook account versus they coming through a Google account or a inbound sign up? When they even there will also be other formful data which they do. Do people who actually first time when they come in and when they sign up and this thing, do they buy a 500 rupee item or do they buy a 3000 rupee item or rather the same? Or does it, what kind of behavior does it change? Do people actually spend more time on the blogs which I written? Let's say for Mama Earth, I write what is a happy motherhood or any of the other details and other things. Do, does it have any impact in the path of user journey? How much time does it take to actually select a product and go to add to cart? And after add to cart, how much time does it take for him to Let's say do the checkout and other this thing. Is there any other thing which actually does this time difference change by in terms of kind of customer, any slice and dice of the customer in terms of people coming in from within Delhi versus Bangalore? Does it change because of, uh, let's say, IP address or any of the other this thing? Does it change by payment mode? Or payment mode if you're paying by UPI versus credit card. UPI versus credit card or all those things or cash on delivery versus normal, the same. What are the things which are changing? So that you also know how do you customize your website and customize your own kind of path flow within the website. The point is like, you can also do the same thing with something like heat maps and other things. Heat maps is recording of all the web sessions. But let's say if there are, for a mama kind of company, it'll have 1 million visitors on a monthly basis. You can't look at 1 million videos, right? What is a heat map? This is again like a, a, a like a SaaS product. You can just buy this and plug it into you. Heat map is something like you can buy the SaaS product. You will get basically you will have recorded sessions of the user journeys put in the website. So let's say I come. 
each and every user each and every user depending on the plan if you have each and every user then it's going to be pretty hard because you can't record everyone but it'll show what's apart but the thing is you can't look at every single video right it's impossible but on the other hand when you do analytics when you capture all the data with your javascript sdk whatever it does then it's easier for you to one write queries on the data like how many people looked at my blog and then went to check out how many people looked at this and then did add to cart or what are the people who did add to cart check go to the checkout page and then drop off what were the things they did or which slides and dice of the people which set of audience did it and did do it or something should i send them a nudge those things can be better done through analytics there through something like a heat map kind of a tool second slide you can also is it heat map also doing analytics or is it just storing videos it's heat map a heat map captures videos even heat map just captures video analytics is tough because once you capture all the data then you have to store the data and link it link the data and then you have to enable sign up and this thing if you just show what is happening then you have to do the analytics in your brain yeah he spends time oh he's going there no why did he go there so if you take a random video he might go just for the sake of the thing it will be like an infinite monkey there so anyone will be randomly doing something how do you analyze the pattern versus noise that can happen only when you have the data stitched and then you can query the data without doing that then everything will look like a pattern and how would you do the linkages uh, how would you know that this person has also seen an ad on facebook that's why the javascript sdk is there and we also have the facebook integration so when people come from a facebook particular campaign and how much they have paid to the cost campaign that we get from facebook once they click on the link wherever it is through the utm and whatever the cookie browser data it comes to the website he has done this he has spent so much time and our javascript sdk is on the web page which basically drops a cookie it's a first party cookie which we drop and then we are able to activate each and every sign in data or like even form fill data and etc we are able to capture that and then we are able to link it to the web so one is when someone clicks on a facebook ad and then comes but second could also be that someone saw a facebook ad he didn't click on it maybe but the next day he typed in mama earth and came would you still come to know we'll look at it more as a organic uh, data point you won't be able to capture when the user saw a facebook ad that's more like a that's more like an influencer for example you tell someone as like you check this out i actually bought from mama earth you should also do it then it's more like a influencer thing but what you can also know is what is the ratio of organic to non organic data non organic is more like inorganic from campaign and other the things continues by organic is when people do the thing this is basically the yin and yang of on the browser this yeah this is the basic the yin and yang of uh, marketing itself this is one part is brand marketing which is like you do thought leadership you do more blogs you do just brand ads you do youtube ads you do maybe even tv ads and other the thing or in a this is b2c you basically build recall so that people are build recall yeah when the need arises they, they know what to type they know what to do but whenever the need arises you should you should also do ads right you have to also kind of like do an ad google search ad on facebook so that they click and come rather than they go anywhere because if they need arrangement they can go to 100 other competitors the classic example is coca cola is a well known brand across the world they still spend a lot in ads right so because they have to keep re hydrating uh, your ad message and also make sure that when people think of it they are, or they feel thirsty they think about coca cola in a sense the same way when people would know mother earth completely they might have even bought about it but whenever they think about let's say any baby care product or a mother product or something they have to think about mother earth they have to build that in or like in a b2b saas kind of a mode like 
Fresh chat and other the thing is Freshworks everyone knows and it's also the thing. But whenever you look at a chat product for your website or whenever you are looking at let's say a service product for your ITSM or something, you have to look at Freshworks or a charge we would put it in this thing. So B2B versus B2C, everywhere there is a brand plus a brand, uh, performance marketing. We measure whatever that is there available in performance marketing. Wherever it's not available in terms of just view through or influencer ad or something of the sort, it will come as an organic direct traffic. And you can also see how much your organic Direct is increasing and how it's changing, that would give you a very good impact on okay. This month we had done a lot of brand organic activities, which is just a lot of YouTube or just generally, let's say, like we released a rap video on our product or we released some kind of a PR, a lot of PR got done because of funding news or something of that sort. That has increased a lot of organic because people see PR on Twitter or on those things or someone talking about it or let's say Naval Ravikan talked about your product or something. Suddenly there's a lot of interest in your product. These are all things which is basically would be captured indirectly rather than not directly, but you still know in terms of these parts and all those things and you would have a kind of weightage around it like it's a kind of organic versus inorganic part of it and also then even if people come inorganically people might come to your website inorganically but after that how much time does it take to do it once he comes inorganically and later he comes later through an ad and then he comes like you can switch both of them this guy actually came two months back itself but suddenly when he saw this ad and he came in and now he signed up for the demo and eventually he did a checkout you can see the whole end to end journey into it and that's where an analytics tool also helps. That's where the context within the analytics tool is not within a session or a lifetime. It's actually the whole user journey end to it. But how does the website and Facebook talk to each other? So the Facebook website has a website JavaScript SDK and it drops cookie. So and Facebook, basically Facebook channel data, everything is also linked to us. So we know what's the cost. And Facebook also gives the channel URL, which is the same thing which we talked about in the mobile site. And the website also, the same thing, they'll give a, whenever a campaign runs, there'll be a campaign URL and you'd be setting up the UTM parameters there. When person, someone clicks on, let's say, Facebook or Instagram or something, they come to the website. So you link, this is the user who actually clicked on this usage and came to your the thing. How does the reverse happen? If I searched on Mama Earth for, let's say, allergen-free shampoo, chances are I will see an allergen-free shampoo on Facebook. Like for the next two, three days, I will see those ads on Facebook. So that's a retargeting cookie. So there are some tools that you can use, basically, like what are the SDKs the Mama Earth is dropping on you as well. But that's basically a retargeting cookie, which is you have to install a Facebook pixel on the website. Similarly, you would also put a LinkedIn pixel or something and you would also put a Google pixel. So when you had search, let's say Mama Earth, something you had normally go into Mama Earth, wherever, let's say if you're reading NDTV or you are in Crick Info or something, the Mama Earth ad will follow you. So that's basically a Google Display Network or same thing when you're on Instagram also that things keeps following you. And that's basically like a retargeting cookie which comes. So there are two parts to it. One is ads initial direct targeting, then there is retargeting, then there is brand targeting, all three. And that's when it becomes so complex. You can't target, track everything and keep in mind everything. That's where a product like us also makes sense. Like when so many things happen, you have to know what is the kind of a journey. Do people come back more through retargeting ads or do they come back from the first love ad? Do people come and drop off very easily after retargeting also? Or how does it change by campaign, by uh, creative, by... Uh, channel. So you also help in retargeting like in terms of dropping that retargeting cookie? We don't do retargeting but we track everything. We are totally analytics, attribution and insights platform. We capture every single data end to end. Our key value prop which is that is like ability to capture all the data then sync the data, stitch together the data and also bring analytics forward to you in extremely super fast 
space. So, so we have invested in huge amounts of data engineering. The way we prepare the data and assemble the data is also makes the data very easily searchable. And the way we surface insights, insights on like which are the common parts, which are the more high converting parts. And also you can, in with our product, in, that's where our AI comes in also. That is, one is like we bring in data, we visualize the data, then we help you do analytics. The AI part is, you can specify any endpoint at any starting point. We can see all the paths going through that endpoint to starting point and rank them in order of relevance in terms of which are the most well-performing paths and which are not the well-performing paths. That's where our differentiation also comes in. That's where it comes. If you don't have all this infrastructure, one, you have to spend on data engineers, everyone to build all this. Then you have to have a data analyst to run these queries. Then you also have to uh, optimize your data engineering and your uh, analytics setup and all those things in such a way that where it will be fast also. Because when you're running management meeting, which is half an hour, you can't keep running queries and then saying that they're waiting for 10 minutes for the data to come out. So you have to also do it in a very fast way because speed also enables you to actually look very professional and also methodical for you to run experiments and tests around the data and other things, which is where we do. So, so now you've connected the pipes and all this data is coming to your data warehouse. How do you stitch it together? How do you help the system read that this is all Sri Krishna? So that's why the context and where we have built in the whole data points, right? We don't let the data be in multiple dosing. We have anyways, we have a, a channel data connection. We have a website, JavaScript SDK, which is there. There is a cookie data and there is also whenever someone signs up, there is an email data, which is there. And then there is a CRM data, which is where an email record or a phone number and other thing. So we take each of those things and we stretch it internally. And that's where at the user level and in a B2B places, both at an account level also. So for example, let's say you're buying a B2B product like Bing Mass, which is there. There is a Gong, which is a competitor and Bing Man you are doing. But a purchase of something like a Bing Man is not a one single person's decision. Let's say a SDR guy will first look at the product saying that this is good. Then a CEO would also look at it. Then a CFO would also look at it, whether this makes sense. Or a CRO would look at it and other the same. Multiple people within the but it's the same account. So we stretch user journeys by user level, how each persona looks at it. Then we also stretch it at an account level, saying that all this aggregates to a particular account. So you can do analysis at an account level or at a user level, both sides. And that's that's the way how the data comes through. And uh, once you stitch the data, analyzing the data becomes more faster and easier. So you have the unique ID and identify it and then you... What is the user journey once the data is stitched? How do they run an analysis? Is it typed in regular English sentences? Can I type customers? More or less like regular English term. Yeah, but what, what, tell me about how that analytics are. So you have a whole bunch of data in a storeroom which you have stitched together and therefore it is easier to analyze it. But... How does the user actually analyze this? The so marketing, head or the marketing teams come in two forms, right? One is consumers of the data. Second is like people who process the data, that is people who run specific analytics. So for example, the head of marketing and also maybe the demand generation manager saying that I need all this data, which is like channel amount of, uh, let's say, signups, amount people coming in and revenue data all in a one single place. That's all we need and other the same. One way how we do it is we have standard templates that showcase the data. In terms of this is set of the standard templates for this industry, we get the standard templates. So automatically you start standard templates. Other thing is when you have specific queries you want to look, I want to specifically have a separate LinkedIn query or your product marketer in your team would say, I want or a content marketer, you know, I want to know very specifically how content impacts revenues. Very, very simply. And I want to run the query for them. They will basically come to the analytics dashboard and say that people who come from, let's say website session, spent time more than five seconds on my particular content and other the thing and then eventually went to a sign up they'll be doing and then they'll be running a funnel and they'll be saving the funnel so that's how the 
any running new analytics queries and all those things. Like this, you can do any kind of the thing. I want to do this, but filter by people who came from only United States or they filter by people who came from Bangalore or break it down by campaign, by channel. So by Google, by Facebook, by LinkedIn or something like that. You can do any of those things. which is basically almost as much as conversation in English, but with the more structured conversation. That is instead of you writing, knowing SQL, it's more like people who came to this, then did this filter by breakdown with this. And that's how you'll be writing the whole percent. Okay. Okay. So, so you'll ask them for a starting point, like when the journey started and an ending point, like they bought more than thousand rupees. That's the ending point. The starting point could be they, they clicked on a Facebook ad and, and then various filters can be applied real time to see how that changes, like how that changes and see what's the paths which are there. Either you can analyze it at overall path level or you can analyze it as a sub path level also and then run queries. And we'll also give rank in order of relevance. That's something like a search ranking in terms of, of all the people who came from Facebook campaign and then eventually signed up and became a customer or bought, let's say, a particular form of diaper or all those things. When people come from, let's say, Facebook campaign for this creative and from Let's say Hyderabad, the chance of conversion is much higher compared to anyone else, whether it's Bangalore or something. Average is only 2%, but when people come from Hyderabad, they do it 5%. So then maybe you need to maybe double uh, double down. It's like, why is people from Hyderabad doing it? Maybe I have to, if I start spending more on my Hyderabad campaigns, things will work better. Or why people coming in from this, let's say mothers above 35 are doing something like that. Or why when I see this particular creative, let's say, as I said, uh, X person's creative versus Y person's creative, the chance of conversion better. Let's me double down on that. And other that's in automated insights. So those are the, they are the, those are the things which marketers love to do. The data actually surfaces. How does the visualization happen if like you would be showing that journey like landed on website and then clicked and then ran the search and then one is like a funnel. So visualization can be in multiple forms. Either it's as a funnel data or it's like an event and uh, standard row and columnar data. Depending on what's the kind of query you want to look at only number. I want to look for this particular month number of people who did sessions, website, this thing. I just want to know total numbers. By this filter, you'll get those numbers also by a sparkling chart or something. Or you want to do a funnel, the funnel will also come. So much funnel, then so much drop down, so much time also between that and other thing. And once the funnel will automatically come, then you can save the funnel. You save the funnel and put it up into a specific dashboard. So you want to put, I want to see a separate Akshay's dashboard, which is there. Or this is my content marketer's dashboard. I want to do, it'll be saved as a particular dashboard. It'll automatically get refreshed every day or every week based on that. Based of the data that's getting added to the system. Okay. And so you can also choose different kind of starting points in that analytics, which will tell you about attribution, like whether Facebook worked better for users who spent more than 1,000 rupees. So you have a separate attribution queries also. You have separate attribution queries also, where you say attribution is more about end goal. For this end goal, what is the kind of path? What is the first touch path? What is the multi-touch path? What is the last touch path? If I... A filter for this end goal by campaigns and I compare between first touch to last touch, how did the campaigns perform in terms of cost per MQL or revenue per MQL or any of those kind of metrics and other things. What is MQL? Cost per MQL? Marketing qualified lead. Marketing qualified lead or sign up lead. Cost per sign up, revenue per sign up or cost per user slash revenue per user. All those things. Lead is a clean metric. It can be a sales lead or a qualified lead or a non-qualified lead or any of those metrics. It's okay. Okay. And so what is the role of AI in this? How does AI make the system better? So this is basically from Aravit's work at the end later at Google as well. It's like the way he saw that is you see so many paths coming in there. There will be hundreds of paths, people who 
went from Facebook campaign and went and bought a particular set of tires. Or it can be like came from a particular LinkedIn campaign and ended up buying fresh chat or fresh work, fresh CRM product or all those. What he had done is you can look at each and every path. Internally, what his algorithm does is it makes a kind of a very uh, kind of a tree-based design. So people did this and then did this, then did this and each and every path and each user would have user attributes, each event would have event attributes. You can slice and dice through any of that. And then he looks for, for each tree path, which is there, what is the information gain difference? So whenever there is a higher information gain, which is an entropy metric, those things get ranked higher. So he calculates the mean and then looks at wherever there is a information gain, which is either a up-leveling or low-leveling based on how far it is and then ranks them. So then he comes back and says uh, how the output would work. Wait, this Can you just simplify this a bit, what you were talking about, the information gain? So information gain is more like kind of like deviance, right? Or while average is, let's say, 2%, whenever people did this particular action it, uh, or particular event or when people came from a particular geography or a country or a uh, city or something, the chance of that happening became 6% or conversion rate for that became 6%. So that's like a huge information gain or about. But it's also right, that's 6%. But in somewhere else, it can be even 40%. Somewhere else, minus 30%. So you see the basically the expansion and basically you have an average, but how does it deviate far away from that average? And then you have to also look at significance with the same thing. Significance is, did 100 people do it or did 5 people do it? 5 people into 40 percent it's just seven but 100 people into 10 10 percent is actually 10 so moving for this thing and using these two metrics then you rank it so of all the parts which are there when people came from so facebook campaign to converting for a particular diaper is two percent but when people came from delhi for doing this and so many people did it the chance of conversion is 10 percent that's where it is but when people came from let's say hyderabad but mothers by 35, but it's only a smaller subset. But there it's 40%, but this thing, that ranks next. But when people came from Chennai, nobody converted. That's like very bad because it's so bad from the deviant and also. All these things need to be solved because deviants are up and down, both ways with six, and then it ranks it. So in a sense, it's something like a Google News ranking on your data, which on your deviation, this thing. How does a Google News or search ranking work? You basically look at something like, this is something which is interesting. How many people are sharing it or how many people are clicking? How many people are looking at it? How many people are quantifiably what is trending? Then they rank that thing. So you can search for business news or something like world news. All those things will rank. Of course, now currently a certain Ukraine would be ranking because that's something which is a trending story, which is that. Then is the thing. How do you find the trend based on a certain kind of multiple metrics which goes into your information gain ranking? How do you look at this path versus another one, which is basically like you? Build all the tree and then see which tree path where there is a higher deviance and then you rank it. The efficiency of this algorithm on the ability why this makes more sense is like how you one ability to set up the tree rank very fast. You have to generate the tree very fast. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. Somewhere else, something else happened. That is, you started with Facebook campaign. Then you are, we know you came from Delhi. Then we know you bought it. That's like very high. But average, what is it? And then, but if you same thing, if you came from Chennai, when you did the thing, it changed differently. But same thing, when you came from Hyderabad, but mother, the thing changed differently. All these things will reserve certain rank. But ability to pass through this in a very fast way, and also probabilistically then rank it also accordingly, is where the AI and uh, more importantly, the moat also exists in terms of like how fast and how easily you're able to do it. This, when you are confident. What is 
No, but but what is the end goal of ranking these deviations? Why why is that important to do it fast? More than doing it fast, it's also important to rank it very efficiently and in a correct way. The reason is very, very simple. So for example, as a marketer, when you start looking at data in any part, as I mentioned, the problem currently and why is this the trend which is more relevant now rather than maybe five, 10 years back is like the amount of data points are also increased. So the way we store data is users with user attributes to events with it. For example, Sri Krishna from Bangalore will do certain things. This event and would click so much spent somewhere. Akshay will do something else and all those things each of the users would have. And this is the exponential sets of data because you would have so many event attributes. I would have so many event attributes. Same thing, user attributes also. City, website, browser, everything would change. Campaign and all the things. When you have to see through all this data and then see through all the data, that's basically number of hypotheses explodes. You can't manually figure out. It's not, you have to be a very high levels of genius saying that of all the things happen, I think the problem exists in this. I know conversion rates are coming down, but I know what the problem exists in. If it, the further you have to be deeply ingrained as a revenue analyst. But if you just want to do something like endpoint this thing, I want to see what's this thing. You need AI to actually sort and drive this very fast. The speed. So for a marketer, when they do a start start point endpoint analysis with some filters, in addition to that standard analysis and that average values, the system is also automatically showing them major deviations to explore. Deviation. Major deviations to explore. Once you have the major deviations, then you'll have to double click on it. That's when the marketers will go back to the analytics thing. So let's say... And, and what do you call these deviations? for? A, like for a marketer, obviously this term won't be used, right? Like for the user, what do you call it? Like No, what we were saying is like what patterns I'm seeing on the data. So fundamentally, my add to carts are increasing. Let's say anyone on a Monday morning meeting or a daily meeting would be worried about like, how much is my sign-ups and add to cards are increased? Is it increasing or does it decrease? Or it's remaining flat? If it's remaining flat or whatever is decreasing, what are the factors affecting it? Is it my Google campaign? Is it my Facebook campaign? Is it people coming from Delhi? People coming from Bombay? What is affecting it? All those things, if you just put the start point and end point immediately, like this is affecting within this, these are the kind of deviations, these are the weekly insights. Once what's happened, then you have double link. Because the, the things that can affect a campaign are exponentially increasing because there is so many minute data points available. So many minute data points. That's why you can take out the guesswork out of what hypothesis I want to generate. Otherwise, people will be like, I think Delhi didn't work. Rather than that, you... Yeah, you, you spend a couple of hours in just applying one filter after another filter to see what is the root cause of a certain outcome. But now the system will automatically generate suggested... What, what, how, how do you brand this as? Like for the user, what is what we call it as explain? So, or like we basically bring out explain. We call it internally as the explain dashboard, which is there. But basically, explain. No, no. Ex, ex, in Explain is what we call it. It's basically explain or outcome. It can be a single outcome, or it can be a journey outcome, it can be any outcome. You can just say, can you explain me why MQLs are decreasing or decreasing? Can you just explain what are the factors affecting explain for this time period? It automatically comes out with an output. Now I can deep dive into it and then figure out. Then I go into metrics, then I go into analytics and other things. Mm -hmm. so, so explain is essentially the magic of the product. Like that's really the the thing which would cause the wow factor for a marketeer. <laughs> explain gives the wow factor, but the standard metrics and ability to do analytics makes them keep coming to the product on a daily hourly basis because I need to still look at my metrics. I need to look at what changed. I need to look at have all the metrics. I need to 
I can't keep looking at four or five dashboards. So what we enable is you can look at, you don't need to look at multiple dashboards, but you can also look at which are the key factors affecting your data in a very fast manner. So I think I broadly understand the product now. Let's talk about the economics of it. What is the pricing like and stuff like that? So, so do you price it per seat or what is it like? Or we don't price it per seat. We're very honest. We are still evolving the pricing. How do we price it better and how do we improve pricing? As I mentioned in the earlier, this thing is like what we want to do is scale to a certain level of customers and have multiple case studies and have a lot of customers using the product. What we are optimizing on currently is like increasing the number of customers and improving the product usage metrics. Eventually, we'll come back to the pricing. But currently, we are pricing only on monthly tracked users, which is basically the amount of data which we process at a user and attribute level. That's the only thing which we are pricing on, which is the input cost for us also because like we pay Google Cloud on amount of data which we process. So we just want to do that. And that's how we are doing the pricing. So that's like a very standard linear pricing, which is that. So we start with, the, we have this thing like starting at $99 and going all the way up to custom like dollars $3,000 a month, which is then depending on the amount of data. $3,000 would buy how many users? Like tracking of $3,000 would buy more closer to something around 4 million users on a monthly basis. $99 would buy something around like 10k users on a monthly basis. So it's not absolutely linear, but it's basically the amount of data which you have to process as well. And there's no limit on seats, like a, a, a team could be 5 people team, 10 people team. There's no limit on seats. Any number of people within the five people team, multiple marketers, content marketer, everyone can use the product. You can set up separate projects within the product. You can visualize everything. It's super flexible in terms of how you want to do the data, how you want to see your metrics, how you want to set up your metrics and everything else. Okay. And when did the product launch officially? So we basically started our alpha last April. That's when we started adding more clients like ChargeFee and other things. And we launched on the product hunt in September. So after September, we started making it more generally available in terms of as the product is going to be more open. Uh, alpha means early customers. Uh, beta means testing. Alpha is yeah. early customers. Okay. And uh, as I said, what we are focusing on is like now we are at 30 customers. We want to get to 100 customers as soon as possible. Get to more importantly, product usage metrics, the thing and how they use and how we improve the, both the UX and uh, also the kind of data destinations and other the thing which we want to work on. And also more importantly, getting into certain level of actioning. So those are the kind of subsequent things that you are getting to do. Saying like you get the data, you analyze the data, you get the output. How do you action the data so that it directly ties in with your revenue and outcomes? That's a marketer. How would like actioning would mean what? Like offering a HubSpot kind of a service where you can publish content, publish ads and run campaigns or like what? Actioning is a little uh, differently like that. So we see user and journey and account parts. Which users work, which parts work. So, for example, you take people who have shown interest in your website and other the thing, and you have your the set of accounts. Now you want to take that particular audience of people who have this thing and then run a specific ad campaign for them or a retargeting ad for just that set of people that you can do. That's the actioning part. That's what marketers would like to do. That's one thing. Second is you may want to just take off those things and run a specific email campaign for them. That can be another part of action. That's the audience pooling or all those things which is there. Third is you can basically then kind of like score these accounts and give it to sales team saying that now you also reach out parallelly of your sales team. Because like of all the people who have shown interest, let's say there are 100 accounts who have visited your website, done these activities and other this thing. 
of these 100 meetings, these 20 makes the most ideal customer fit for us and other the thing because they have also shown intent in terms of using our product and other the thing. They have checked on the website pretty well. And these 20 also match your ideal customer profile and the high ACD bracket and other the thing. So let's go after that and send it to sales team to actually look at some form of action, scoring them and other the same. So either you can run ads, you can send emails, you can start doing sales on top of the data point, which is that, which means whatever the input and insights which we are giving. And once you do ads also, we'll also again capture it. You did ads to this thing and then what is the result of that? How much you spent on the ads and how much you converted? Or once you do sales with the data and get, get updated in the CRM, we'll also capture that data also. So we basically complete the feedback loop, but also give them nuances saying that okay you focus on these two things this is where this is there and also surface the data up in the systems of communication that is like the systems of record in the current age is basically there is channel data there is crm data there is marketing automation data in multiple places how do you want assemble all the systems of record into one single insta journey which is there second how do you make it more relatable and usable in the systems of communication, whether it's in, to your own email inbox, whether it's your Slack alert in terms of what you have to do, or in terms of running your specific campaigns and all those things, is where the, with intelligence around that. That's where the intelligence, you, I can't show, saying that so many customers signed up just to email blast to all the customers. I have to say that now I apply intelligence of, of these customers, of these email for this ICP, for this metric, which you have said, these things make most sense for you to actually focus on. Or these are the places where you have shown highest intent for you to actually focus on. This is where it comes. That's how the actioning part also comes in. Then there are two parts to this product. One is marketing is a necessity. It's not a cost which I can cut or it's not something like which I can remove and then something else would happen automatically in using marketing. is something which is a consistent daily continuous activity. That's why you need dashboards. You need every day you have to look at dashboards. You need to look at metric. You need to look at attribution and do the strategy. So marketing equals to revenue. Now with marketing, how do you enable revenue and increase revenue in terms of measurement of all those things? That's where the actioning also comes in. So then the product also, the value prop of the product is not something like, this is something I just show metrics. It's more like I enable you to get more revenue around it. This would again be like AI-driven recommendations and which could then, like you could export an email list and run a campaign. AI-driven scoring and methodologies and other the thing based on whatever we see of the data of your own data, first-party data completely. But you would not, for example, build an email marketing tool of your own. You would just like help connect to the email marketing tool, maybe you can directly feed it data for a campaign or card. So in a way, this becomes like like these tools, like the email marketing tool and the Pardo and the HubSpot. These are essentially workflow automation tools. These are not intelligence tools. And, and these tools can be then in a way that the brain for running these tools can be factors where it is sending the signals. It's, it's like the nervous system of the body where your hand is doing something, but it's not, it's a, it's an execution tool, the hand, and you get some input back from your hand, like the thing you're picking up, how heavy it is. And then the brain will do some analysis and say, okay, this muscle over here should move more to really lift it up. And so how big is the size of the market that you're targeting? You, you told me that for each of these segments, there are billion dollar companies like the data warehousing, the piping, the analytics tools, the visualization tools like Tableau. So how big do you 
So I will put it this way. So fundamentally, currently we are targeting only B2B markets, B2B and SaaS companies, such as all the B2B SaaS companies, such as that. What primary, this stream product can also work very well for B2C. We do have a lot of B2C clients as well, but from a position direction focus part of it, we are targeting on a B2B because one, your integrations become the better that way. You focus on the right set of even data input parts and all those things. And you also become your templates become more more and more better and easily usable. And your action use cases and other the thing also become much better. So one is the focus part. Second, with B2B itself is there are hundreds of active actioning tools and a lot of actually data point tools, whether you spend on Google, LinkedIn, Facebook, and other the thing, the data, the user journeys and also timelines also shift. And there are uh, close to at least 80,000 B2B SaaS companies of which even if you say the market size of it is the top. 5,000 to 10,000 companies which are there. The amount of revenue they keep and the marketing spend is close to 30%. That's where it's like, if you are going to generate so much of revenue and this thing, you need tooling to get to that revenue more efficiently and focusing on for you to measure that revenue and action that revenue also in a more sustainable, clear, predictable way. That's where an intelligence tool like us. So our market size, the way we look at it is the same as a ABM tooling marketplace. So there are big companies like Six Sense, Demand Base and others. Say. We also look at ABM tooling. What is it? Account-based marketing. Account -based. So in B2B, the set of companies which help B2B companies do marketing better are ABM companies, which is basically they work with the DSP, they work with the same set of channel partners and other the thing to help it. So they are like five to six billion dollar companies, multiple billion. How are they different from what you are doing? What is an account-based marketing company? So they do the, they have an intelligence, so they don't have the intelligence in certain cases, but they basically enable you to basically run ads better. So we basically sit behind that set of EVM tools and all those things is you don't need to, running ads is more simpler, but intelligence to run and where to run the ads is the more, more based thing. So that's where we see everyone. So an ABM company would just look at Google, Facebook, LinkedIn analytics to see which ad and uh, they also look at DSPs and other things. DSP is, what is a DSP? DSP is a demand side platform. So for example, Google, Facebook, as I explained in the same mobile affiliate world earlier, right? So you can run ads on Google search ads directly. But when you're running ads on, let's say, Crick and Four Entity, it would be either from a DSP or it can need it always be from the Google network. It can be from a InMobi network, can be from the same. So how do you get access to all those inventory? You have to work with the demand side platform like a trade desk and the same. So a trade desk will also give you access to Google's own property, but it will also give access to other properties, which are their publishers. And InMobi is a DSP or is it a... InMobi is a DSP app. SSP. Is SSP the right term? Supply side platform. Supply side platforms are also there. Demand side platforms are both are there. So supplies it platforms aggregate all publishers. So uh, InMobi is both. In InMobi is both. InMobi supplies it platforms aggregates all the publishers, uh, which is uh, publishers. Yeah. What what you were calling as affiliate, affiliate and uh, the thing demand side platforms combines all the advertisers in a single way and advertiser network connections and all those. So these um, companies are essentially just looking at ad effectiveness. Did people click on this ad? They look, at they look at basically helping you setting up ads and running those ads and other the sync of them, except for maybe something, someone's like a sixth sense and others. Don't look at the intelligence behind those ad effectiveness also. Like how do they help you set up an ad? Because they have data across multiple customers, what kind of ad works and 
So they they are able to. They have no. They don't do that that way. They basically help you saying if you want to run a campaign with for this particular audience for this particular this thing, they basically give you the platform to do. Just like you can log into a Google Ads the thing and say that I want to target people about age fifty or age twenty for this particular demography and this thing. You can run start running Google Ads. The same way, demand side platform will also do it and other this thing. But the larger market which we are targeting is all B two B and SaaS companies. So that's the market which we are targeting and. Every market where what, what I, I have one more question on this ABMs. So these ABMs would why would someone use an ABM? Why not build your ad on Google? Does ABM give you additional information? Like for example, maybe on Google you can't put a filter of companies with more than fifty headcount, but on ABM platform you can see. For example, you can filter a list and then run those ads. Google is search as intent based ads. If people search for that particular keyword or something, you want to run an ad on Instagram or a Facebook is a property based ad. You have to put in that property when people are on that property when they want to show interest in it, then you do ads. A lot of those other display ads is basically non-intent based, and it's basically based on creative. So, for example, I want to target people who are looking at a particular CFO magazine. Mm. Yeah, yeah, contextual ads, right? Or people who are looking at a particular mother's blog, which is there, let's say for your own mother, the thing. For that, because know that they don't show intent, but if they are looking at a mother's ad, me showing a mama an ad, that itself is going to do it, and other things. So you need a platform which access to that publishers to give you access to those ads or run running those ads. But then you need a platform to set up those ads with the right kind of creative and other the same. That's where all these DSP platforms and ABM platforms are the same come to place. So, so we were talking about the market size. So, you told me that B two B SaaS companies is your target. B two B SaaS companies are the the thing. So, this alone for B two B SaaS companies, whole marketing measurement, analytics, attribution, and actioning as a overall or the marketing intelligence platform or the marketing operations platform. So, you can call it the thing. It's like a, a billion dollar plus market is what we see as, and this is rapidly expanding also for two three trends. One is SaaS is becoming a threat. Number of SaaS companies, number of B two B companies is expanding. I see SaaS in a place where what PlaySure was eight, eight nine years ago, where it's just emerging and suddenly you have so many apps and other this thing coming. Place SaaS is also coming through, and the good part is SaaS is not a winner takes all compared to a B two C kind of other thing. So there'll be multiple SaaS companies by geography, by segment for the same activity and other this thing, and each of them would need to spend on marketing to measure their effectiveness and increase their revenue and other this thing. Second thing is the number of tooling within all these as SaaS is expanding, number of tooling and channels and everything is also expanding because there are Salesforce is a great CRM, but it's still only fifteen to twenty percent of the market. There is pipe trial, there is spot, there is so many other things. Similarly, marketing automation has Marketo, Partot, and let's say HubSpot and so many others marketing automation tools. Similarly, email would have multiple tools, channels would have not just LinkedIn, Facebook, this thing. There'll be Bing, there'll be Quora, there'll be G two Crowd, so many other things. So how do you look at all this data? And the expansion mode is also more critically one other very clear trend is like almost all sales is having a very clear off online touch point. It's not just an offline only business. Earlier business news be ten years back used to be like you do online, you do marketing, you do brand marketing. You may also even get inside sales for people signing up. But I also have sales representatives or account executives who take up the phone, call up and do sales. That's also separate. Now it's basically like you take up the phone and call and do it only after he has actually tried out the product or at least seen the demo of the product or at least read your white paper or newspaper and the thing. So there is so much of online marketing activity which happens before any sales activity which happens. So hence, 
the whole marketing to sales alignment and uh, measurement of all these metrics and all those things becomes more important with all these trends. The other previous two trends, which I talked about, that SaaS companies expanding and number of SaaS tools also becoming more and more complex. So hence the data is also complex for you to get. So these are the broad trends which we bet on. The macro trends compared with the micro market where like so much revenue and similar companies and with the actioning makes it more useful. But it, so you're saying this B2B SaaS market intelligence platforms catering to B2B SaaS companies is a $1 billion market. How big do you see it getting? $1 billion sounds small uh, and not to trivialize $1 billion is of course a big number. But considering the kind of but jobs you have given up, the kind of pedigree that all of you come from, you, you must be pretty ambitious and not satisfied and just a $1 billion market. So what we are looking at is, this is like very similar to how Chargebee was, right, in early 2015 and other this thing. They were a subscription management platform and subscription payment platform, which was there. And at that point in time, subscriptions were like, okay, how many people are going to do subscriptions? There are only so many SaaS companies in the world. There are only so many tech subscriptions are also unheard of. It's going to be one-off payments, whatever that is, and other the thing. Suddenly in the last, after seven years, in the last two years specifically, number of SaaS companies doing subscriptions, number of tech companies doing, anyone doing subscription has actually increased very, very heavily and then become more and more the thing. That's basically become the expansion in the SaaS market itself at a fundamental level. And also expansion and the thing. Similarly, the same way we bet on the expansion in the SaaS market. So it's like we do see on year-on-year basis, like there is a 30 to 40 percent expansion in the SaaS market. The good part is SaaS is also not a winner takes all. It's not something like all the companies are going to be in SaaS are going to die off also. That's the massive trend which I've been. The other massive trend is data itself is exploding. When data is exploding, you have to find more easier ways to bring together data, search the data, and analyze the data. You have to measure the data well to actually use the data. Otherwise, you'll have so much data and data variables, you're not going to use the data in any form and other this thing. So the data explosion is this thing. Third trend, which is more of a sub-trend, which is there, storing data has become easy because data warehouses have made storing data very easy. It's a constant trend. But analyzing data is very difficult because it's like so much data, but how do you analyze another other thing? And also data engineering costs also have been increasing. You can't keep throwing people at the problem. Company like Freshworks earlier or even other, the thing five years back, they would have said, like, this amount of data we don't want to spend on a tool, just throw five engineers, let them do whatever it is. Now the data engineering costs have also increased very, very clearly. So there is a SaaS overall growth trend. There is a data explosion trend and data tooling trend, which is also there, which is also a sublink along with data trend and the cost of data engineering trend, which is also there. And how fundamental this has become because fundamentally how we are seeing this is there's been these product analytics tools starting to come up in the first half of last decade which is there whether it's an amplitude and the thing amplitude was now a two three billion dollar company it was actually ipo and a seven billion dollar company level and other the same because suddenly product managers became more data driven which is a large trend which started up and because earlier product managers were more like brand based they were like Amplitude would tell a product manager what is your user journey and help them improve the UX and stuff like that. UX and the product and other things. No, marketers have become data-driven very, very clearly. Marketers, 10 years back, used to be far more brand storytelling positioning. Now they are fundamentally like, give me the data. They are quizzed very, very clearly within their own teams and their companies and their priorities saying that, show me the data, this works, use the data to actually make decisions. They don't want to be data blind. They don't want to be caught off hand because it's fundamentally one means their own job. It means the whole industry is shaping and the data is also exploding and the number of companies using data is also exploding. That's the broader trend which is there. And that's why when the whole, why the market might be a little underwhelming now, but 
whether it's you look at the charge me example or how Apple do product marketing data and product analytics data to whatever the data exclusion. Now we are in the golden age of data, data everywhere, but how do you process the data? So <laughs> I'm a CEO of water, but you don't have the right desalination plants and other thing. You're not going to be able to drink anything. <laughs> Probably put that on your website, like data, data everywhere. <laughs> nice. Okay. So like I'll put this in a like a layman analogy. Say Zomato's delivery business. See that uh, as an outsider, if I was a VC looking at the business, I would have said, okay, I order out once a month or maybe twice a month. So this is not a big market. I would have probably written that off, which would have been a mistake because the ease of use of ordering on app and getting it within 30 minutes to your home has changed habits. And the same thing is what will happen here. The, the ease of use with which marketers can crunch data, get insights and take actions on those insights will change behavior. And that behavior changes anyway, like a long-term trend uh, as you have more data. Companies who use the data effectively, that Darwinism, and I have seen this play out multiple times. Bill Gates anyways famously said it's we always underestimate a trend in the long run and overestimate it in the short run. And it's more like the product market fit is like finding the estimation right in terms of like you find it early, you build to that estimation and then you build it. And actually one of the key, the thing I also remember as you mentioned is like I was doing the delivery series A right at that point in time, 2013. Almost everyone is like, what is e-commerce delivery going to happen? Like, how many people are going to do e-commerce deliveries? Or companies, all this big e-commerce, Amazon will do it themselves. Why would this thing? Now you see almost every single company becoming an e-commerce company. There is Flipkart, there is Amazon, there is also a D2C brand and this thing. Everyone has to do delivery. And now you have, and even within an apartment earlier, it used to be like one or two deliveries. Now, it has become an easy trend. You can actually transport anything from all the way from, let's say, Jaipur and Rajasthan to Bangalore within one day or two days or something of that sort. It has become a, such a use case, the pipeline and the whole tools for the whole business. It's like shovels for the gold map, gold running has become very, very useful. The same thing is like the whole data tools and the data analytics and the data management to get actioning very easy and other things for marketers because you need to generate revenue. To generate revenue, you have to spend on digital marketing. If you're spending on digital marketing and this thing, you need to understand your user journeys and other things. So this becomes a fundamental tool. Do you build, are you going to build it yourself or are you going to just look at multiple tools yourself? And is everyone going to do it or not? Then it becomes expansion of the market in a very significant way. Or even if you're not doing it, chances are if you don't do it, you will be like, you will kind of lose the market and companies which are... Lose the market at all. Uh, like the companies which use data well are the ones which will thrive. So so that... Oh, yeah. That's uh, across the board uh, how it has come through, right? Whether there are big five, six delivery companies, food delivery companies earlier in 2015, 2016, when you used to see. Yeah. Only a couple of them survived. And there are more niches also within this, like fresh menu pivoted into a certain niche, uh, pure fit pivoted into a certain niche and other things. And then it becomes even more larger market. And then... Mm. Got it, got it. So what, what revenue will you close this year at? So this year our plan to close is closer to one and a half million dollars revenue, but more like at a run rate level, closer to more like 200k monthly revenue run rate is where we want to close at. And the thing that's scaling up more like by 5 to 10x very fast and other the same. But that's where is also for us to also the product maturity to marketing maturity, which we get in terms of our own go-to-market and then scaling it up to very, very clear. We are also experimenting on the pricing plans and other the same. As I said, we are not focusing on revenue pricing per user. I'm focusing on getting to 
100 customers and then getting to 200 customers. At 200 customers, I'd be far more comfortable with both the product market fit, product usage metrics, and then it's more easier to focus on the metrics of pricing, metrics of ACV, metrics of so how do you extract more value from the same set of users? How do you do expansion revenue and other thing around the set? Mm-hmm. So by when do you think you'll hit 200 Use customers? So currently I'm at 30. By 200, I want to hit it by end of December. That's fair. Okay. And by, by, say, 2025, what kind of revenue run rate would you be doing? I think my experience with uh, delivery, uh, this thing, and even with Vodogo, which I had done is, delivery people were saying that uh, Series A was 100 crore overall valuation. Now they're going to go for an IPO at 30,000 crores. See, it was a nowhere in the wildest wild imagination. We would imagine this to be a $5 billion, $4 billion company from India. And all of this. So impossible. Like Flipkart was a one billion dollar company. The how is this going to be a four billion dollar company? That's and is your focus on India or global? Like where are you? No, it's fundamentally global. Fundamentally global for us, US, Europe. Saying a lot of our customers are fundamentally US and Europe and all of this thing. That's another trend. Is also thing. Fundamentally, we work on first party data. We don't work on third party anonymous data points such as that. Or Google Analytics as an SDK collects third party data as well. It shows this thing. It's a free SDK because it helps in Google ad monetization. That's getting a lot of privacy controls, but. First-party data, what are the data which you collect only for your own first-party as a business which you there? That has itself is exploded and that has a lot of value and that's around the privacy compliance also. So that's also another regulatory trend which you need to say like how companies working on first-party data are going to actually expand and build out and other the thing compared to companies which are working on third-party and other data points and other the thing. And that would also be like, we have to see how Europe and other the thing, it's like now, of course, the... There is a black swan event in terms of a Ukraine war and other thing also, but how is it overall going to affect privacy trends within Europe also? Because earlier, a lot of these Austrian courts and others were saying that no data should be present in US servers and other things. It should be in a Europe. Maybe eventually it can come to an agreement where it can be in either US or Europe because everyone of us is covered in the NATO treaty and other thing. And then it's going to become more easier. And, and that's uh, regulatory trends is also even more difficult to predict, but some of the regulatory trends would all become tailwinds for the overall market in very different ways. Mm-hmm. Because of the need for privacy and keeping your data away from Google, so using you basically keeps the data away from Google, like using factors. You don't need to have your own Google Analytics. Plus, it also keeps it private. Manually. You can stitch all the journeys and you see the data. You also work with very clear norms in terms of we get people to accept cookies. You have the 70 refreshment of cookies in Safari and other the same. And then the whole user journeys and other the same measuring and other the same becomes also more cleaner. Measurement becomes more and more difficult with all the privacy and other the things. So hence, the measurement across the board becomes more contextual and cleaner and you still need to measure. You can't work on more kind of like it's a hunch and other things. So you need to measure when and platforms which can measure when become more and more important. Got it. And you help companies stay compliant also. Yeah, we help companies stay compliant. We are completely having a proper data. We are fully stock compliant. We are depending on the geography and other things. It's completely first party data. We don't take in kind of, we don't share one company's data for Mama. It's data to say that, okay, this is what the trend is now. You can find for some other advertiser of a similar set of people you can show and secure and all things. We don't go any of those things. Got it. But you would, for example, be able to use data across customers to train the AI algorithms better. That's the same problem which you uh, Google also has, right? They use the data across customers to run their ad systems better. 
and the other the sync. We don't plan to use the, the sync, and that gets into the huge privacy compliance issues. Also, it's like how is you have user level data, you have PIA data in multiple ways. If you are using it beyond the certain set of businesses, then one the businesses need to approve. Second, the customers need to approve. And then there is also things about what privacy from one form of the data to use for this thing. So that's where the whole compliance also comes in. Companies have approved to give their access to data only for this particular purpose. Then you use AI and trends to do for something else, then it becomes a issue. But for this particular purpose, for that company, they have to optimize how they have to get the users because that's the company's data which is there. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books, and drama. Visit thepodium.in, that is T-H-E-P-O-D-I-U-M dot I-N for a complete list of all our shows.